Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco. I am your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks for spending a few minutes of your day with me. I am not smart enough <laughs> to cover the topic of this episode myself, so I've asked a longtime friend of mine, Greg Benz, to teach us all about HDR editing in Adobe products. So welcome back to the show, Greg. Hey Jeff, good to be back. All right, I'm I'm so looking forward to this. I love how when when I have you, when I can convince Greg to come on the show is a good thing. Uh, okay, so so Adobe is just finished up their uh, annual Max conference, where they they demonstrate uh, the latest things that their software can do to help content creators. Sometimes it's like forward looking. Most of the time, in fact, I don't, I can't remember a time they didn't have major releases, whether they're ready or not <laughs> for, for release at their max conference. It, it feels like we've often ended up at a spot where they're like, well, the conference is happening. So we're shipping and, you know, whatever state we're in on those features, that's, that's what's coming. Um, this time it seems like we have a, a pretty decent release, although they've already released a, a minor update to Lightroom Classic. So if you have already upgraded, you need to go get the new version, especially if you're running Windows. There's bugs there. Um, okay, so they've got a brand new feature. One of the major components, new features in uh, Photoshop and Lightroom both is something that's HDR editing. And I'm using those term, that term very purposefully because I'm trying to distinguish between the HDR processing that's happened in the past. Um, a lot of you th listening, you may be like, wait, so HDR has been around for like ages. I've heard about this for years. We've all seen like the horribly done, <laughs> overly baked HDR processing where people combine multiple images together into one and, and it can look horrid uh, when overdone. <clears throat> that's, it's different than that. And, and, but it's a perfectly valid question. And how is that different than the HDR processing we've had in the, in the past and what, what's there? So that's why we have Greg here to explain it. I honestly, I have to admit, I've not used this yet. And there's a major reason. It's one of the questions that we'll go through in this episode, why I haven't even tried it yet. But, um, but we'll get there and, and talk about it. And then Greg's got a, a plug-in that can really help you too, especially as you, uh, with the very last question, we're going to talk about how to share your, your images. Uh, we're we're going to get through a whole lot of information here, and we'll try to, to go through it as fast as we can so that uh, we don't take up everybody's time too much. But let's, let's just jump into the first one, Greg, and help me. How is HDR editing different from HDR processing that we've had for so long? So uh, up until recently, our monitors have not changed that much. We've gotten more pixels, they've gotten bigger, that kind of stuff, but they've had kind of the same range of dark to light, and they could typically show about eight stops of dynamic range. And in the past, um, we've had cameras that vastly exceed that. I mean, you know, a new camera comes out with one extra stop of light gathering capability, we go crazy for it. And modern camera shot correctly, you're getting over 14 stops of dynamic range. The old uh, HDR or high dynamic range, the idea there was that you, you took this source file and you actually expanded its range even further by combining more. Um, and then somehow that was going to benefit you on a screen that was less capable. And I think that's why we were all very disappointed with that scenario is you're trying to improve the quality of data, but you still have the same lousy screen. What we have now with high dynamic range monitors is a new display technology. So not every monitor is going to be able to show this capability, but when you have a supporting monitor, you now can actually see that data. It's the first time we've ever been able to take an image that has you know, 14 stops of dynamic range 
and pretty much show that data. If you have a, a MacBook Pro since 2020, in the last three years, you've got a best-in-class display or a relatively new iPhone or Galaxy or Pixel 7 Pro. There are a bunch of these screens now that have uh, tremendous capability and can show you an additional four stops of dynamic range over what we've had. So you're going from eight stops of display to f to 12, really, um, which is incredible. Because you think about, you know, when we went from like a camera that could do 13 to 14, people went insane over that, even though we couldn't show it. So it's a dramatic improvement in what you can display. What that ultimately means is that you've got better highlights and better color. Because when, comes, when, when push comes to shove and you're trying to cram the dynamic range of a RAW file down to a standard dynamic range screen, so I want to call that an SDR screen, the old technology, when you try to squeeze that down, you don't want to give up shadow detail. You don't want to give up midtones. That's the most important part of the image. If you don't have that, the image really falls apart. The place where you end up making sacrifices is the highlights. It's not a great sacrifice, but it's better than what you could do elsewhere. And so when we move to HDR, we have this expanded capability to show the highlights. And so that means things like that sunset scene where the sky got really washed out, it lost color, maybe the pixels were blown out, maybe they just were desaturated. Now that sky can be both bright and colorful. Or if I shoot, uh, you know, maybe I'm, I'm shooting a picture of my nephew during the holidays and he's wearing a white sweater in front of a tree full of holiday lights. Well, in SDR, the, the glowing highlights of the, the tree are going to be the same brightness as that sweater. Whereas in HDR, they actually glow. The, you know, the city lights really, truly glow. All these highlights have just detail and color that don't exist in SDR. And it's hard to verbalize exactly uh, what that means. You really have to see it for yourself on a great screen. But when you do, and I've, I've had this funding experiment where uh, I've, I've sat down side by side with a number of people who have MacBook Pros because they all have this great screen now and show them HDR. And every single time the person just, wow, that's incredible. You can't unsee it. Every old image almost looks kind of undone after that. Not that every <laughs> image benefits from HDR, but a lot of them do. Sure. Um, so it's, it's just an absolutely stunning display. Um, and the, the funny thing about it is there's this perception now that HDR is a super niche thing and it's like years away. But the reality is that these monitors have been trickling out for, for years now. Most Apple displays since 2018 have some degree of support. Apple monitors in their better computers or MacBook Pros since 2020 have a really good like high-end 1600 nits display. Uh, most, you know, the majority of, of smartphones now have this. And what's been missed all this time is the software. So the first place all this technology went was into movies. So you probably have heard HDR when you shop for a high-end TV or you're looking at movies. Same concept, but all that investment in the software is going towards movies. Now it's coming from the video side over to photography. And we've kind of gone from no support a year ago to actually really good support. Now it's rapidly improving. So it's kind of amazing. A lot of people are getting this like free upgrade all of a sudden. I mean, a month ago, you couldn't view HDR photos on your iPhone. You couldn't edit them on your Android phone. You couldn't look at them on your iPad. Now you can do all of that with uh, numerous updates from Adobe, from uh, Google Chrome, uh, from the Android operating system. All these things have just started to hit fast and furious. So 
this technology is actually rapidly expanding. When I've done recent surveys with my audience, almost 40% of them have some kind of HDR monitor, and that's not even really accounting for the smartphones. Um, so there, there's a lot of this out there, and I really encourage people to try and see it because the, the benefits of it are just, it's just truly stunning. You finally see what color and detail is in your raw file for the first time ever without compromise. Okay, so that, that brought a question to mind, that last little bit you had there. I have had an experience where I can't remember which social platform it was now. Uh, there was one of them where as I scroll, I, there's occasionally an image I'll see where it looks like much brighter than the rest of the images that are around it. Is that because that one was an HDR image? Is that why that, that's happening? Very likely. So the the actual technology behind, behind HDR is brighter pixels. Uh -huh. But HDR artistically is not about having just a brighter SDR image. It's, it's much more nuanced because it's really about expressing those highlights. But the actual physical technology is brighter. So a traditional SDR monitor you, if you've calibrated your monitor, you probably be used to these measurements of like, you know, CD per meter square. Yep. That's also, that's a candela per square meter. One CD per square meter is a nit. They're the exact same thing. Right. And the, the way we traditionally would look at monitors for photography is you're probably working with that monitor between like 80 and 120. If you're printing, you might take it as bright as like 300 if you're using it for general consumer use. And if you're using that same laptop, maybe outside in a bright area, maybe you're at 500 nits for standard content. With these newer monitors, you're going up to 1600, or on some smartphones, the latest Google Pixel 8 Pro goes to 2400 nits. So you're, you're working in a world where we used to be running, you know, one, 200 nits to, you know, 1600 or more nits. Uh, so it is vastly brighter. Um, is is what enables that capability. So you, you're taking those highlights that got compressed at the top of your old image, and now they can properly display the data as it was. Um, and, and behind the scenes, there's a bunch of new monitor technology that makes that possible. Because in the past, if you pumped up the brightness too high, you ended up with really poor black levels, right, that sort of thing. Right. The local dimming. Getting, exactly. Yeah. Local dimming, better OLED. There's a, a number of technologies that enable it. They're amazing they're super complicated but the bottom line is you can get a brighter pixel a more colorful pixel there's better gamut and um, a blacker pixel so a lot of our pixels are not true black and uh, so we're improving the shadow display on these monitors as well right okay so yeah i had mistakenly now now that we're talking about this i think it makes sense my experience I think someone shared some sort of an HDR image and I thought it was like the platform was like trying to highlight that image somehow. <laughs> I'm like, why is this one different than all the rest? But now I think that makes sense. I think it was probably an HDR image that someone shared and they, on my screen, on my phone, it could actually show the HDR image and it looked vastly different. That might, I, I think that might be the thing <laughs> that happened. Okay. It is. If you're, if you're on social media, the HDR photos are not supported yet, but video is. Right, videos. Oh, and maybe that's it. Might have been a video. That's possible. And so, if you're if you're scrolling through like Instagram and you get to a reel, yeah. you might see a reel that's in HDR. Okay. And this is baked right into the iPhone. So if you're shooting, you know, iPhone video and you upload it to Instagram, you very possibly have just uploaded an HDR video and didn't even know it. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. 
All right. So, um, and I, the second question is, what are the advantages of of HDR editing? And so, uh, just to kind of restate, make sure I understand what you just said <laughs> in the first question, uh, it sounds like our cameras have had much more dynamic range than our monitors could show. And the demos I have seen, I watched a bit of Adobe Max, and they kind of showed the feature. I've never used it myself yet, but it looked like you get like a, an expanded histogram. And that's because of that difference now in like your screen can actually show the full dynamic range of your camera's image. Um, and, and so we, we have a, have to expand the histogram. Is that, is that right? Yeah. So Adobe has, I think they've done a beautiful job at simplifying a complex technology. Like if you look at HDR video, I think it's quite complicated. The, what you see in Lightroom or Adobe Camera Raw is quite straightforward. And what they show you is you turn on the HDR mode, you just click a little HDR button, and then all the controls pretty much work the same way you're used to. But you now like will will see the highlight detail that was compressed, and you can push further into that range. When you're looking at the histogram, to your point, um, the old data, the SDR range is the left-hand side of the histogram. It'll actually say SDR. And then the right-hand side is the HDR range. And it'll have these little bars. And each bar is one extra stop of dynamic range. So you'll see four bars or four stops over the old SDR. So if your picture was clipped at the previous white, you can now go you know, four stops brighter than that old limit within the capabilities of your display. So the other thing they do on the histogram is that histogram might be dimming down. Maybe you see this like kind of darkness start uh, at the two-stop mark. And and that would mean that Lightroom's telling you on your display with its current brightness, you're getting two stops of HDR capacity. But um, maybe on someone else's screen, maybe they have a higher-end HDR monitor Maybe they have three or four or or even more stops that, that they have. So HDR is not a fixed standard. Different screens have different capabilities. And if you change the brightness of your screen, the way it works is that you're changing the maximum of the SDR range. And whatever's left over is for HDR. So on, on my Apple displays, because I've got the MacBook Pro, I've got the Pro Display XDR, they both work the same way. If I have that screen down at half brightness, then I have four stops of capacity. If I turn the brightness all the way to the maximum, then I'm down to about two stops. Because what I've done at that point is I've said, hey, I want to brighten up the SDR range. And it's inherently sacrificing a little bit of HDR range. So it's all it's all relative. And it's a new way of thinking about things. Because in the SDR realm, there was black, there was white, and those are the limits. In HDR, it's unbounded. You can go as bright as you want. I mean, in, in Photoshop, you can specify pixel brightnesses that would be equivalent to being brighter than the sun. So it's it's all in the data. And it's a question of how good is your screen. And with today's monitors, you're going to be kind of potentially using the full range of that histogram in Lightroom. Maybe five years from now, maybe we're way beyond that. Who knows? So it's, I think this technology is only going to get better from here. Okay, so my my audience is tends to be those that are kind of on the beginning end of the photography journey here. Um, yeah, they may not understand some of the stuff we just talked through. <laughs> the histogram, like what is the histogram? I don't know what that is. Uh, or stops. Yeah. They may not know the full language of what stops means. Let's try to put it in like a little simpler terms. Make sure that that I understand too. Um, so 
as I've taken pictures of sunrises and sunsets, those have been some of the more challenging scenes to try to, to fully capture. And often I have felt like, like I'm max, I'm, I'm reaching the limits of my camera's sensor and have to, that's why I do three shots a lot to, you know, H, the old HDR processing, try to make sure I have images where like the, the brightest brights are fully captured and not blown out and the darkest darks are fully captured and not too dark. And um, then I can combine them together so that I, and I can pull the pixels in a tasteful way, not the over <laughs> overbaked way and, um, and, and try to capture it. So with this processing, are you saying, are you telling me that the, would that have an effect on that sunrise or sunset image where I'm not as, it, it, it won't look as blown out on the highlights in one single frame? Yeah. So let's, let's take an example. Like you, you shoot and you've got a blue sky, right? On your monitor, like each pixel is made of red, green, and blue components. Uh-huh. And so the, the brightest blue your screen can display is whatever that blue can do on its own. And if you want to get the pixel brighter than that, it's going to have to turn on the red and the green, meaning it's going to start to wash that out. It's going to start looking white. It's going to lose color. Whereas with the HDR, the, the that blue pixel is so bright to begin with, it's just turning on the blue. It's not going to have to use the other pixels to support it. So you're you're actually getting a truly brighter blue without having to start bringing in like the white to the other colors or or clipping. Um, so, uh, you know, in your, in your old SDR world, one of two things would happen. You would either darken down, um, the sky, in which case you'd have a sky that's really no brighter than the foreground, which that's part of that HDR look. It looks kind of weird because the yeah. shadows are too bright because intuitively we know that the sky should be brighter than the ground it lights. Right. right. But we kind of process our images that way. Uh, or it would kind of start clipping to white because that looks brighter. Whereas in HDR, you'd have a scenario where that sky is truly blue and truly brighter than the foreground. So it looks like the real world as opposed to this fake construct we've used in the past just because we couldn't do any better. Okay. I think I'm getting it. <laughs> Hopefully the <laughs> listeners are. <too. laughs> it's, it's truly something you, you need to see in person to appreciate just how good it is. But the, the bottom line is that um, the processing in Lightroom is is not very different once you turn on the HDR button. It's mostly the same, but the benefit is that the image is going to have a lot more natural color in anything that would be tend to be brighter in the image. Uh, lights in a city scene, sunset, um, all, all sorts of highlights look much better. They have more detail, more color. Um, and, and even if they don't right out of the camera, it's like you have an expanded palette to work with. So artistically, you can do things you could never do before. So right. I, I could take um, a piece of footage that was shot on film 50 years ago, scan it in, convert to HDR, and push it into something new that could look really beautiful and interesting. I've taken very old images and gotten a benefit from this. So this is not just about extracting more from your raw file it's also a creative opportunity to do things we just couldn't do in the past. So we can express things in a different way. But yeah, I, I think the easiest way to visualize this is thinking of like night scenes that truly glow, sunsets right. that really pop, but it can be so much more than that. But the subtlety that are hard to explain without showing you an example. Gotcha. 
Okay. All right. Um, so the next question that I had was, and I think we've already answered this, do photographers need a new camera in order to do HDR editing? It sounds like no. Your, your current camera, you'll be amazed at how much more there is with the current camera you've got. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, I The oldest RAW file I've ever taken and, and still have is from 2004. And I went back and I processed that and it looks much better in HDR. Like there's actual content in the image in HDR that I never knew was there. Right. Like it's a, it's a picture of my dad. He's wearing a white shirt and it just looks all white. And like when you turn to HDR, you can actually see the shape of the shirt. There's like detail and highlight that was never there before, uh, which is incredible. Uh, but you don't, I mean, so if you, if you shoot proper raw, the, you know, for standard pictures now, that same technique applies for HDR and, and you're already set up to get better images. Um, but if you don't, maybe you've got old JPEGs, maybe images you already processed, whatever. You can use any image source and convert to HDR. Um, the difference might be that when you're working with RAW, your ability to truly capture the original is there. Whereas if you work from a processed image, you're going to have a little bit less data. So maybe you don't get as much HDR benefit, um, but um, truly it's it's well worth it. A, a large number of the images on my site that I showed to people for HDR were images I already edited um, for SDR, but each one of those images takes me like three hours or more of work. So the easiest thing for me to do was to convert them to HDR versus going back and redoing dozens of images. Uh, so I've got a lot of images that show as HDR that were never edited for HDR. So you really truly can work with anything, but raw would be the ideal uh, thing to work with. The, the other thing, sorry, go ahead. So that's, that's an interesting benefit. Oh, I, I want you to finish your thought first before I, I'll, I'll share mine. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I was going to say the, the other related thing that comes up is some of these newer cameras, like some of the Canon cameras, whatever they can capture like a heaf or a heek file. Uh -huh. And so people naturally ask, cause that's, that's a native HDR format. And so people will ask me like, oh, should I be shooting in that format? And my answer is always no, keep shooting raw. If, if your camera offers like direct capture to HEIF or HEIC, you know, H-E-I-F or H-E-I-C, it's basically the same thing. That's kind of like the JPEG of the HDR world. It's a baked file that supports HDR, but it doesn't have all the benefits of raw. So just like JPEG is a step down from your raw, a HEIF or HEIC is stepped down from a raw because you've, you've already baked in the white balance and all that kind of stuff. So you should always shoot raw and just keep shooting with the same technique you've used. As long as you've been properly exposing your images, you're going to get the best possible results. Okay. So my question that I was going to ask you was, it sounds like then this could be a time saver. Is that what you were saying with, with, with the images that you worked so hard on to like bring the dynamic range into SDR and make it look mostly normal <laughs> now if you can do this in hdr there's there's like way less work for you to do in order to get to a similar result is that is that right well in that case i'm converting existing images and yeah. i just I, I my software WebSharp pro can automatically upgrade things so i uh -huh. can just batch process my old images to hdr and they look a lot better and they'll actually reveal detail you didn't see before because in the tiff in the old sdr tiff the highlights are compressed uh -huh. and it's not visible to the human eye, but when it gets pulled to the HDR range, you can see it. Uh -huh. So I can just in like 20 seconds, spit out a whole bunch of upgraded versions of my favorite images in HDR. But, but there is, there is a processing benefit. 
let's say you've been shooting um, a, you know, sunset scene and you're doing a bunch of complex blending and editing and all these things to manage that data down to the SDR range. Right. Well, now you click the HDR button and if it's been shot properly, there's a very good chance that it just comes through and you don't have to resort to complex methods. Or if you do, that you start from a better place. Um, so I, I think it absolutely can be a big time saver. I think this reduces the barrier for people to create more advanced images because a lot of the skill in the past has been trying to wrestle this SDR screen technology so we could cram our raw files into its limits. Whereas now you can just focus more on the artistry because you don't have to figure out like, how do I take you know 14 stops of dynamic range and squeeze it to eight now? I can think about other things in the image because I don't have to fight the screen. Um, so, so I, I do think it simplifies things. I, I still think there's a lot of room for post-processing and creative work beyond that. Uh, for me personally, I'm not necessarily spending less time on my images, but I'm getting better results. Uh, okay. And for those like second tier images where I wasn't going to spend three hours, maybe I was going to spend 20 seconds those images benefit a lot. <laughs> so in the past, you know, like those images, right? It's like, okay, well, that's as good as I could get. It was, you know, a shot of my buddy, some casual thing, whatever, but I'm not going to spend, you know, multiple hours and turn it into a piece of art. Whereas now it actually can get a, close to that really quickly. Right. Um, so, so I think it can expand your ability to create great art um, in several ways. You know, it kind of depends on what you want to do with it. Right. Okay, so all of this sounds super exciting. <laughs> this is this is really really cool. I'm I'm kind of excited to see it. But now for the bit of a downer. Now you already went through. We probably all have screens that can show this. Our, our phones likely can show this. A lot of, a lot of people will have that. So there's it's not that there's no screens out there, but you have to have the right kind of display. That's critical to this this piece. And this is the reason I met, I said at the beginning of the show, there's a reason I haven't used that yet. And this, this is the reason I don't have a big display that's capable of meeting of showing an HDR image. Um, I have a, a great BenQ monitor. It's wonderful. I love it. It's done really, really well for me. It doesn't support HDR. I bought it several years ago. And, um, and even if I, yeah, I bought it today. Like even if most of the BenQ monitors today still don't support this this HDR uh, stuff. I've, I've been looking. Okay, so so here's the bit of the downer <laughs> side to this. Um, you're probably going to have a, a, a somewhat significant investment to make if you want a big screen that can that can use this. Now, so Greg, you solved this problem by getting yourself a Pro Display XDR, right? That's uh that's the one that that you're using. And as as I go look on Apple's site today, here's we're recording in October of 2023. It's five thousand dollars to get that Pro XDR, Pro Display XDR with standard glass. And if you want the really cool nano texture glass, it's another thousand dollars. You're six thousand dollars. That's more money than I spent on a camera plus a lens lately. That's a lot of money to get a display that does this. How did you, you didn't pay this price, right? How did you get a, a, a pro display XDR? Yeah. So, so I, I've got the pro display XDR. That's the external 32 inch monitor, same screen technology is what comes in the 14 and 16 inch laptops. So the last three years, uh, just bigger, right? Um, I got this on Craigslist. Um, so I got this thing for $3,000 with a stand would have cost me 6,000 
plus 6,500 at retail. Uh-huh. Um, that's out of the range of most people, even at $3,000. And it's same as new with warranty. I mean, this is a real steal for me. Um, obviously, most people are not going to invest that kind of money in a display, but you really don't need to. Um, there are some uh, cheaper alternatives out there. Asus uh, is half the price and, and is great. Dell has a monitor. Uh, the range is rapidly increasing. But even if you don't get um, a standalone monitor, um, most people have a TV at home that's much bigger that supports HDR, just great. So you can plug into your big screen TV at home, and there's a very good chance you're going to multiple stops of HDR capability out of that. Um, and if you've got one of these laptops, you know, like the you know the Apple M1, M2, MacBook Pros, you can always set that up as a second monitor where it's showing the HDR image, but you still see big on your main display. And that's what I did for a long time before I had the external display. And that works better than you think. And, and when you edit that way, you're, you're not only future-proofing your images, but you can see the benefit on your phone or an iPad or your TV or when you share it with other people. So there are a lot of ways to get into it. But yeah, the, the weak spot right now in HDR is there's not um, there's not a great range of external monitors and the ones that are available are expensive and we can't easily you know share on say social media right so there's some challenges in terms of uh, you know just replacing everything that we've gotten comfortable with but you know if you think back to where we were when we all started in digital photography we didn't usually have 32 inch monitors and we didn't have social media didn't exist and all these things all these things are going to come and, and i think they may come fairly quickly over the last year I think I've seen things change quickly. I mean, I went to Costco recently. They had a PC laptop with a really pretty good HDR screen. The whole thing was like eighteen hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, laptop with the HDR. You can buy one of these Apple laptops. You know, if you get a Black Friday sale, you're probably going to spend fifteen hundred bucks for one that's pretty pretty decent. Um, but if you need a thirty-two inch monitor there's only a few options out there. <laughs> right. right. So, so I, you know, I, I think it kind of depends on what your expectations are in terms of what you need to see. But uh, I, I was using this for a long time before I had the large external monitor. I was just working off my laptop and quite frankly, um, I was really thrilled with it. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't see that as a barrier, but you know, everyone's gonna have different opinions on it. Sure. Okay. Okay. So I want to walk through, I've been, I've been chatting with Greg about this for like, I don't know, a month now on Facebook, we've been exchanging messages as you've been super excited to share stuff with me. And I was like, Oh man, I don't understand this yet, but, <laughs> um, <clears throat> but it made me start to look into a screen, a monitor. Cause I knew mine didn't, didn't support it. And um, so I, I want to share with listeners, you mentioned maybe black Friday sales, be careful with those. Obviously there's most of those, most sales on black Friday are not sales. It's <laughs> all of those kinds of things. Um, before I get in, I want to go through what the specifications are that photographers should look for. I know a lot listening won't be able to understand, you know, what those tech specs are initially, but you'll be able to have the show notes and, and then you can try to compare as you're looking and shopping for monitors and, and we'll go through that. But but I wanted to ask Greg, you, you bought one from Craigslist. How did you validate that? Like, yeah, this is still good. Like someone didn't abuse this thing and they're selling it because they abused it somehow or broke it or whatever. How, How did you... Like, figure out this is a good monitor. Uh, we met up at a coffee shop. I plugged my laptop into it right there in the store. I mean, he, like, literally brought it in with the big old box, and we set it up and took a few minutes. Um, 
I, uh, I opened up Photoshop. I created kind of a, a mill gray swatch that I filled the screen looking for any sort of dead or discolored pixels or anything like that. And it looked great. The serial number checked out. It still had warranty. I was totally happy. I, I knew it was fine, but it, yeah, I knew it was a legit product. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think there's pretty easy ways to check for these things. The thing you want to watch out for are dead pixels or any obvious dings and that sort of thing. If you can find one of these monitors for that price, I just get it. Honestly, <laughs> I think the interest in this is only going to go up. I could probably sell this at a profit, um, is right. my guess. Right. I think you know, as the as the software is catching up, the hardware is going to be more valuable. Um, so, I mean, this tech is really nice. Um, but um, yeah, I think there's a lot of ways you can evaluate these things. But I, that that would be the main thing I do is just make sure you feel comfortable with, uh, you know, if not a warranty that you've just done a good job of inspecting in person, turn it on and check it out. Um, you never know when someone's trying to pull something on you. That's rare, but it obviously happens. Yeah. I wouldn't be comfortable doing it without seeing it myself. Like I, if you don't live in the same area and you can't meet up, I, I wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> Have it shipped to you. 100%. And, oh, nope. Okay. Let's go to some of these specs then that I've come to realize. And, and we're going to start off with what Adobe themselves has said you need to have in order to uh, to be able to get the full benefit. Now, you may be able to get a partial benefit without all reaching all the way to these specs, but this is what they're, they're saying in order to realize the full benefit. So this is coming from a blog post by Eric Chan, and he is somebody who was heavily involved in adding this feature to Photoshop and Lightroom. And so he has a great blog post. I'll have a link in the show notes. He calls it HDR Explained. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. Thank, you, you can thank me for that. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll let everyone go and check it out. But there is an important opening paragraph that I, I do want to read. He says, to see the photos in this post in high dynamic range, I recommend that you use a Mac OS or Windows system with Google Chrome or Microsoft Edge version 116. So we'll, we'll, I'm going to stop right there and, and add some commentary to this. I think that list is even bigger now, Greg, than maybe when he made this post. I, I, I mean, I know it was just released, but he might have written this well before it was released. Don't Isn't there broader support than even just Google Chrome and Microsoft Edge for HDR? There is. So the, the best technology has been coming out of Chrome, uh, the Google team, uh, in terms of browsers. And that gets derived down to Brave, Opera, and MS Edge. They're all leveraging that technology. Sure, yeah. And at this point, they all support HDR uh, for both AVIF, which is a next-generation file format that we'll all be familiar with soon enough, uh, as well as Gain Maps, which is this ability to show a single image that's optimized for every screen, HDR or not. Um, so that whole family, that was that was Edge, Chrome, Brave, and Opera, they're all amazing. And that right there is 75% of the market. Most of the remainder is Safari. Um, and what, so, what does Safari most support? browsers support it now. Uh, Safari right now will read in AVIF, but it won't show anything in HDR. Okay. Um, oddly enough, if you take an HDR image and you drag it into Safari with no tabs open, it creates a background image, and it'll show HDR there. So the technology <laughs> okay. is there. All right. <laughs> it's just not in the browser tab. So we're we're waiting for it. Um, I mean, Apple's put out the best hardware sure. and um in you know with stroke of uh some new release they could change everything with their support but you know if you have one of these apple devices just run chrome or if you for some reason don't like chrome run brave or one of these other ones um but most browsers are going to support it sure okay that's good and and if someone wants to test you have a good 
website that they can go to to test if their setup is working, correct? Yes. So uh, my website is gregbensphotography.com and slash HDR will take you to the page where I've got a whole bunch of different resources around all of this, tutorials, et cetera. But there's a great section there of tests, which will show you, does your browser support HDR? And if so, how good is it? How many stops of HDR capacity and, and other things like that? So that's a very definitive way to see um, what it currently supports. Your setup matters, right? So if you have if you have Windows, you need to turn on HDR. And if you went to my page, you might say you don't have HDR. It doesn't mean you don't have the ability. It just means currently you're not seeing it. Right. Okay. So there is a little bit of setup. On Mac, it just kind of works by default. But on PC, there's a little switch you got to turn on. Okay. All right. And uh, so to continue <laughs> on the blog post, it says, um, a, and a high dynamic range display that supports 1,000 nits, which can also be candelas per meter square, square meter, or brighter. Note that other browsers, browsers, bleh, browsers and platforms may not display the photos on this page in HDR, which is why you can go to Greg's site and he'll he'll do or or this post. I, I think either one, Greg's probably will help you with more information about it. And this is this blog post is more just to kind of show off what can be done. Okay, and then, then here's the kind of the key piece of this opening paragraph that I wanted to go through. Recommended displays include Apple XDR displays, such as the MacBook Pro, um, if it's 2021 or later is what Adobe's recommending, and any VESA certified as Display HDR 1000 or Display HDR 1400. So here's the difficulty in that statement. This is a challenge. There are going to be, if you go to any consumer website where you can buy monitors and you type in HDR displays, you're going to get up hundreds of results that come back. And the reality is less than 1% are going to actually be compliant with this VESA standard. They, uh, it's a very, very high standard to be able to meet. And uh, so that it, I know because this is what I've done. <laughs> I've gone to I've gone to a lot of websites trying to find like the least expensive brand new one. I don't have time to watch the classifieds and try to <laughs> try to go meet up with people to see if they have a you know if I'm happy with the screen. That's just I I can't do that. So I was trying to find is there something like within a, a reasonable amount to me, which would be like between one and $2,000 would be like the max I would, I would want to spend on this right now presently. And um, I don't really have a good option at that price range and on normal prices, maybe on a black Friday, maybe as we get into Christmas and certainly as we get down the road a year or two, I'd expect we're going to get there. But right now it's going to cost a lot of money. And if you are using a screen right now, that didn't cost at least $2,000, it's very unlikely that it is going to meet those specifications that Adobe just said you have to have. Now, I, I want to back off of that just a little bit because, and maybe Greg, you can help me. There, there still may be a benefit to some of these that don't fully meet that VESA compliant, the certification level. Is that right? Absolutely. And, and the first example, the, the number one way a lot of people would have this, the majority are going to be these new Apple laptops. Mm -hmm. And the Apple displays are not listed in the VESA sure. lineup. I don't know why they haven't been tested, maybe whatever that is. So VESA is not the end-all answer. If it's on the list, then that's great. That's a great sign. But a lot of great monitors are not on the list simply because they're not tested or listed or whatever. Yeah. My experience with um, that has been usually it's because 
the certification costs money. <laughs> and so they don't pay on pay VESA to test it. And so they're not on the list because they didn't pay VESA to test it. But I, I don't know if that's right. the case here. Yeah. Oh. So the, the bottom line with this, um, if you have an M1 or M2 MacBook sure. Pro, you're golden. It's as good as it gets. Um, but in general, what you're looking for is a display that ideally has 1000 nits or higher peak brightness. And um, that's something you can find on the manufacturer's website almost always, not always, less so for TVs, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's usually there if it's a good monitor. Um, and most of the time, if you thousand nits more, you're usually fine. If it's a really cheap one, the thing you want to watch out for is the contrast ratio. So if they just boost the brightness without controlling the blacks, then all you're getting is a brighter SDR display. And that's not the HDR benefit. I mean, that would be great if you want to watch standard content outdoors, but the actual HDR wow factor is going to come from having that true dynamic range. And so if you look at the contrast ratio, you're looking for something that's going to be, you know, ideally 100,000 to one or more. If it says 1,000 to one, that's the most common thing you'd see for these ones that don't really have it. That that usually is a watch dot that they're not controlling the blacks. Right. It's not that common in the high end, but there I think there are some cheap ones that might do that. But then there's this confusing middle tier, right? So the thousand plus, that's the best stuff. And that's where I would try and buy new. But many people would already have something in this mid-range, and it's good to understand that. So if you have at least 400 nits, you can do HDR. The 400 nit lineup can be muddled. There's a lot of these monitors that promote themselves as being HDR capable. And what they really mean is you can send an HDR video signal to them, but they don't really display HDR, right? right? Just like our old photographs had HDR data in the raw, but we didn't see it. Right. Um, so it's very confusing. Uh, if you do that test on my site, that'll give you a definitive answer. But I would say in general, um, a thousand nits or more is gonna be a great monitor if it's an OLED display, which means you get, you know, really good contrast, then 600 nits or more will look great if you're in a darker room, right? So, so it's this it's this range of contrast, and if the if the ambient lighting is not too high, then a 600 nits OLED will look great. That that's the reason why your your high end TV might look awesome at night, but in the middle of the day it might be a little harder to see. Same kind of thing. If I if I go pull up my Apple laptop upstairs in the middle of the day it will make the TV look not nearly as good. But at night, they both look excellent. Mm -hmm. So that 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 mid-range there can be a little bit confusing, but that's a, a great place to be. And that's where a lot of people's televisions um, can be. And even TVs all the way back to 2016, some, some of them are quite excellent. So this is uh, more common than people think. Okay, so uh, let, I wanted to spend a, a second here on the the conversation about the graphics card talking to the monitor and this is how it might feel like it's totally misleading marketing and marketing usually is trying to like you know live on the edge of that <laughs> just short of misleading <laughs> um in advertising these these monitors that are hdr compliant when their the reality is they're not actually going to show you this hdr content and that, like you just said, Greg, is, is almost perfect. It was, I just want to emphasize the point. What it means is, usually what that means is they have, will have on the technical specification something that says HDR10, HDR10. And that is, to put it in, in the simplest terms I can think of, think of it like languages. And if 
that that your graphics card is going to try to send a signal to the monitor that is in this HDR10 language. And if your monitor doesn't speak that language, it, it's not going to work right. It won't look good. I'm, it, I don't know what the it, like the actual experience is, but it's that's a barrier. That's a problem. So a lot of these monitors will say they are HDR compatible because they speak that language. They they can accept that signal, but it does. It's not going to actually show you the in HDR. It's going to like dumb it down to SDR. Do I have that right? Right, Greg? Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I'd be like you know. Saying I'm on like the, you know, the the local college team, but I'm a bench warmer. It's uh, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's it's sort of true. It's not really true. Yeah, yeah. The, you, you don't the HDR10 is not very meaningful. That's a video standard. Really, I would focus on the the peak brightness and nits. Yes, and and that's usually most of the story. Right, and, and then you know to confirm it, like I said, that browser test in my site will tell you exactly what you're seeing. Okay, so I went in and I looked at what the qualifications are from VESA. They have a site, displayhdr.org is where they talk, they have a bunch of information about this. And that's where you're going to find the list of uh, certified monitors too. They have a, they maintain a list. I don't know what the frequency of the updates are, but they have a list out there um, of, of monitors. Right now, there's a list that there's only 85 are, that are certified as meeting that minimum requirement Adobe provided of the Display HDR 1000. So 85 monitors out of all of those monitors in the world that there are, are I presume they're the ones who paid <laughs> and passed the test. But uh, it's, it's a very short list today that's out there. And that I am agreeing with you um, that it, it probably does not mean – I don't think you can take it at face value that if it's not on the list, it's not compliant. I, I don't think that's true. But determining based on a spec sheet as you're shopping for one can be really hard. We we have lots of variance in how the technical specifications are shown on the websites and what to look for and, and how it's spoken to. And you have this marketing is trying to say this is an HDR monitor when it won't actually show an HDR display. It, it's really hard. Um, I expect it to get better because we're going to probably, we're going to get to a point, I think really soon. I agree with you, Greg, the demand, the software's driving demand on this so that we're, we're going to see, much less expensive and more numbers of monitors that are fully capable. But if you're looking right now in 2023, yeah, um, I'm, I want to run through the list real quick. We've talked about several of these already, but peak luminance of a thousand um, candelas per per square meter tends to be in the uh, certification language. But then they usually, my experience has been on the text tech sheet of the monitor they call it nits so again that's the same thing those are the those are the same um so a thousand is 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 what's required for the uh display hdr 1000 certification that's probably why that's named 1000 then they have a couple of other things that are you're never going to see in there they they want to do a full screen flash requirement for ultra realistic effects in gaming and movies not so important in our still image editing con uh, stuff that we're working on uh, unprecedented long duration high performance. So they they want to make sure that the monitor can hold the display the image at a, at this high performance level for a long period of time. It's not just a a, a momentary thing. Um, then here's the the next one is I and I've never seen this 
actually shown other than like Apple says it on for their pro display, but local dimming. We talked about that, that high contrast ratio is, is a better thing to look for. I was glad you brought that up, Greg, 100,000 to one as being kind of an indicator that you may have local dimming in the monitor because they, they just, the specs, as I've looked, never say that, whether it's got it or not. Um, there's a significant visible increase in color gamut compared to a lower rating is what the the uh, base of folks have in the certification. I wanted to ask you, Greg, is there an indicator on like gamut coverage that could help someone determine if a monitor might be capable of this? Like if it's if it's at least 100 percent Adobe RGB or something along those lines, is there is it more more of a chance that it'll work right? Um, you know, not necessarily. Um, there are a lot of wide gamut monitors that are not HDR and there are some monitors that will use, um, a white sub pixel so that we have like red, green, blue makes up our pixel, but some of these displays to get brighter actually use a white pixel as well. And that will give you a brighter monitor, but it will sacrifice gamut. So you can actually have a bright HDR monitor. That's like an sRGB gamut if you look at an oled that's marked as a woled w oled uh-huh. that's a white oled uh-huh. that'd be that it's not common i i would say um we're getting kind of deep in some of the details here i do have a, a like on my hdr page i have a link to recommended monitors where i list specific monitors that i think are worthy of looking at and more importantly i list specific criteria that i would use to gauge this but in a nutshell i would say if you buy any apple display today you're getting hdr if it says XDR, you're getting a really good one. So XDR is Apple's brand for great HDR. It's extreme dynamic range, I think it stands for something <laughs> right. like that. But that's like an iPad, iPhone, the laptop. It's in multiple things, not just the, the Pro Display XDR. On the PC end of things, it really comes down to, you know, ideally that 1,000 nits plus with decent contrast ratio. Okay. If you're in a store... Um, you really don't even have to look much at the Apple stuff. It's just that good, especially if you have like the laptop or the Pro Display XDR, anything XDR. On the Windows end of things, and you want to test a monitor, when you go in there, um, they probably haven't set it up for HDR, but you can test in store if you want to see for yourself. I would just go in to the display settings in Windows. There's a toggle for HDR. Make sure you can turn that on, load up my web page with the tests, and that will tell you what the the the, the capacity of that screen is. Um, I've literally tested I don't know sixty or seventy different screens in retail stores. I mean, I've just gone crazy on all this. Okay, and I've kind of seen every little nuance of this. the The one thing you may see sometimes is some of the more capable screens are optimized for gaming because right. you know movies were first to HDR, then games, and now photography. And so some of these more capable, more affordable screens are going to be gaming monitors. One of the nuances you'll have there is if the refresh rate is set really high for gaming, that might disable HDR in some cases. So if you like try and toggle on HDR and it won't work, try turning down the refresh rate to like 60 or 120 instead of 200 plus. And that, that may work. It'll get you through that. Um, the other thing to watch with these gaming monitors is I don't know that curved is the best choice for most people. If you're a gamer and you do photography, that's great. But if you just purely are an artist doing photography, be a little mindful. These gaming monitors with the curve, they can show more reflections. Not everyone loves the curve. And sometimes the crispness of text on a gaming monitor is not as good. Um, same thing if you get a TV. TVs aren't really optimized for reading from a close distance. Um, but that is a good way in. I mean, there are a number of people who buy 
um, these HDR TVs. The LG C2 is really popular for like a thousand bucks. You get a 42 inch HDR display and Hollywood movies are made on these displays. They're very good. Um, it's not a monitor, so you might have to deal with special software to power it on and off automatically or little things like that. But a number of people swear by it. They love it. So there, there's a lot of ways into this whole thing. But um, that's kind of my quick take on, you know, if, if you can see it in person, that's great. If it's Apple, you're good to go. But there's a lot of options out there. And, and you know, if you're getting lost in this conversation, I've got it summarized <laughs> website. So because it's, it's a lot, right? It you is, know, it is a lot. Look at this next, they're going to forget stuff. It is. It is a lot. Yeah. Okay. So I was, I didn't know you had a page that has uh, recommendations on, on the monitor. So I'm, I was just going out there right now. This, I'll, I'll, we'll make sure all these are, links are in the show notes so that you can, you can see that and, uh, and see what his recommendations are. Um, in my searching. So I, I went to, um, Oh, yeah, just a tiny bit more on this, then we'll move on to the next question. Amazon is useless for searching like this. <laughs> <laughs> Any anytime I want to go find something on Amazon that has a specific technical specification, it never works. There, the search results, the vast majority do not actually have that one single specification, and it's it's it. They're they're trying to push their you know the things they want to sell to you, so they're they're going to make the search results show the things that they want to sell. So um, I, if I'm looking for anything that I need a specific technical thing in, I don't start on Amazon because it's useless. I go either search like just Google and find a site that might have it, like Greg's site will be a much better source to be able to help you. Or um, if I know exactly what it is, I find that B&H Video or Adorama, sites like that, they have better filters and they have they they don't have quite the agenda <laughs> to to push other like sub quality products um that that uh that Amazon does. So I, I would start somewhere else and then when you narrow down like okay, this is the thing I want. Now when you have a very specific product model, you can now see if you can find it on Amazon to compare pricing at least, and that's cool. But um, I would not start at Amazon to search for this because, it, it, especially if you put an HDR monitor, you're going to get junk. Um, well, stuff that's not actually HDR is going to be vast majority of the results. And it kind of turns out I just went and did this yesterday. B and H, I can't actually find a a display that I think would meet um, the uh, the display HDR 1000 qualifications being sold by B and H right now. It's just I don't think they have one. They have. They, they do. They do. They've, they've got uh, the Asus Pro Art is on there. Oh no, it's no, a, but I mean it's out of stock. So yes, they got they it. have Definitely. a couple. It's not very many. So when you Definitely. first search for HDR10, as was the term I tried, I got 227 results. If you further narrow that down, another fact one that that could be a good indicator is the um, the bit depth that is supported by the screen. So 10 bit or eight bit plus SRC. We don't need to go into the details there. They B and H lets you filter down that gets you down to nine and they don't have a single one of them in stock. <laughs> so, um, so they're very popular right now, probably because the demand is growing with this new capability and it's, it's, um, they're, we're, we're going to see how the, the monitor industry, the display industry responds to this. I'm hoping it means we're going to start manufacturing a lot more of these, improve the manufacturing processes to drop prices, and uh, and we'll all be able to get these uh, much less expensive and have them much more available very soon. I think that'll happen. Well, And, and I would say you and I have been focusing on sort of utopia, 
right? The the large external monitor, yeah, um, which is the most expensive and least available piece of the whole ecosystem right now. My my number one piece of advice for people listening to this right now would be use the HDR to screen you probably already have. You probably have one in your pocket. You probably have one in your living room. So you know if you pick up um, an HDMI cable and you got the right output, you can plug into that TV. I've got some tips on my website because the HDMI thing can throw you a little bit. You got to make sure the inputs are set up correctly and that kind of thing. Uh, but these phones, you can use Lightroom right on your Pixel Seven Pro, on your iPhone, mm-hmm. uh, on your iPad. So th- th- a lot of people listening to this do not need to pick up um, any new display. And I certainly wouldn't go shopping for one until you've seen it in person. Um, get get a feel for it. But there's a very good chance that you have one, and if you don't, certainly one of your friends does. Um, they're they're out there, and that and that and that's where I'd start before sure. jumping into um, you know the bigger purchases. Sure. Yeah, to- totally makes sense. I'm going to be on the lookout. I'm going to watch for sales. If if I find something that like finally falls within my range, <laughs> then I'll let people <laughs> know. If you want to follow, uh, you know, Photo Taco on, um, or actually follow me on Twitter would probably be the best way. That's where I I tend to share most of my like new stuff uh, very quickly. Um, then then I'll I'll be sure to share that. But right now, I haven't found anything that is within my budget <laughs> to, to, to go and, and buy. Uh, Cause I, yeah, it's just too expensive right now for me for an external monitor, but I do need to, Greg's been after me to, to use my MacBook pro cause I have an M2 M1 MacBook pro and um, I haven't done it yet, but I will, I will. Oh, Greg. Come on, man. You, you have it at home. I know it. I know it. I just, <laughs> I just haven't had time. <laughs> just hit the HDR button in the light room. <laughs> yeah. I need to do it. Um, okay, so that that answers that question. I, I just wanted to make sure photographers were aware, um, so that if they try to use this on their screen, the big external screen they have today, uh, it's probably likely that that it's not going to work. Like it, sh- it won't show what is possible. Uh, okay, let's go to the next couple of questions, and then we'll we'll wrap this up. Um, HDR editing for printing. This was a question um, that one of our listeners had. And, uh, and then it made me think, well, yeah, I should have had that question too. So Greg, we, (laughs) this has been a a pretty significant battle, even in the SDR world of my print doesn't look exactly like I see it on my screen. And we, there's calibration discussions and all of that aside, because there's a lot there. This seems like it could make it significantly worse (laughs) to me. (laughs) Like you, you have your screen ramped up to where the whites are being shown so brightly and, or well, the, a range of brightness that's there that is not going to be reflected in the print. So how how does that work now? Have, what does this mean for printing? So we're we're getting much better monitors, but our paper or ink printers they're not getting better, right? right. So so the gap is growing, um, and the the definition of white in SDR, the, the brightest possible SDR thing is the paper. So the literal interpretation of HDR would be to have glowing ink, right? We, have, we correctly print an <laughs> HDR. Um, but if, if you try and print from Lightroom, it will give you a print. And what it'll do is it will use its automatic SDR conversion or the one you provide, because you can control how that works. So one thing we haven't really touched on yet is like when you edit for HDR, you know, what are you sharing with other people? When you when you edit within Lightroom, you can control if they don't have HDR, here's what they get. And that's the version that would print. That's not the ideal way to, to treat things. Um, that's a great looking image, 
But for print, we really push things to the extreme and you're going to want to take a little more manual control than, than that's going to give you. I would say for people who are focused on print, there are a number of workflows that can manage the whole thing. You can you know do like I've done with my portfolio where you edit for print and then just upgrade for the monitor. And that can be very, very quick and easy, like a few seconds of work. And now you've got an image on the monitor that looks as best as possible on the monitor and you have something that looks as best as possible in a print that's quite easy to manage. Um, the people who are going to push back on that are probably going to be people who actually sell prints. And I would not go show someone an HDR and then give them a print of that HDR because that's that's not realistic, right? You're showing them something you can't print. Yeah. Uh, and, and and I hear that feedback. And for those people, my, my answer would be, you can either show the HDR in other places or maybe it's just for your own work. Maybe you've got your portfolio of 50 images you sell on your site. You continue to show those as SDR. But in your own personal work, you probably have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of other images that will never go on paper. And you know you can make them look much better with HDR. You can spend less time editing with HDR. So I think there's a lot of room for this. Um, it's mostly a question of getting the learning curve. I think people kind of freak out that there's this disparity between SDR and HDR. But once you um, get up the learning curve and just kind of understand, it's, it's quite easy to do both without a lot of work. Uh, and I'm doing, I'm very focused on print. I've done a lot of canvas and canvas is as low dynamic range as it gets. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, like, you know, it's not a glossy media. It's not, you know, so uh, that's, that's what I'm dealing with is everything from the least capable paper to the best capable monitor. And I'm thrilled. I think it looks great. I want my images to look as good as they can wherever they are. Um, so I, th I think there's a lot of opportunity in all this, but the, but the, the short answer is you can't just expect to take your HDR and just send it directly to the printer and think that should belong on the wall because you're not going to be happy with it. It's not going to look like the HDR and it's not going to look like something that's as good as what you could have created if you optimized it for print. Okay, this sounds like a whole new show <laughs> to do, <laughs> to walk through more detailed workflow there. Do you have anything on your website that walks through like a print workflow? Um, I'm just starting to kind of build that out. I've okay. got a, a new course where I edit a, a city skyline of New York and I edit the whole thing for print. And uh, I'm actually working on this module now. I'm going to add to the course this week where I show how to then upgrade the final result for print. So that we do the whole edit for print. But then if you want for the HDR, you can do that. Um, WebSharp Pro, I've got a video showing that where literally there's a button you check or like a checkbox. And when you check it, it will take your image. And if it's not already HDR, will enhance it to HDR. Uh, if you take full control of it yourself, you can do even more with an HDR conversion, but it actually looks really good with that. So um, there's a range of things here from the like completely automated, looks great, to taking full control. Um, so it's it's really gonna be a matter of exploring HDR a bit and seeing what works for you, but it's not that difficult. You can certainly complicate it and go in all sorts of different directions, but it doesn't have to be. It can be very, very easy uh, thing to do in Lightroom, for example, uh, I could edit my image for uh, SDR. Maybe it's my TIFF. I've finished in Photoshop, whatever. I can create a virtual copy. On that virtual copy, I can turn on the HDR mode and do things like enhance the contrast, work with the highlights, the curves, whatever. Turn it into an HDR, and now I have both. Right. right. It's it's one underlying file with a virtual copy, and and that can be very very quick and easy. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So you, you just to summarize, you would say just edit an SDR if you're going to print because that's the you can get much closer there. 
and being able to get a good print out of it. And you can do soft proofing and all, all those calibration, all that stuff to make so that you can make a match. And then maybe uh, either use WebSharp Pro, which we haven't discussed that yet, but let, <laughs> we'll get into that one second. Uh, use WebSharp Pro and you can just like uh, upgrade it as you export out of Photoshop um, to get to add the to make it an HDR export. Um, so that you could kind of get both, or you can use Lightroom like you just discussed in virtual copy. Sorry, do I yeah, have it right? Any of those any of those would be the easiest and most familiar way for someone to just use the same workflow you've already used and then at the end create a derivative version right, of HDR. Right, right. But you can go in the other direction, right? Okay. You can edit for HDR and then you can convert that down to SDR. And that's um, a little bit more work. doesn't have to be a lot. Uh, if you're in Photoshop, when you open up one of these HDR images, it'll be a 32-bit image. And if you just go to image mode 16, you're going to drop it down to SDR. Mm -hmm. And um, in the Photoshop settings, there's an option to use Adobe Camera Raw for the conversion from 32 down to 16-bit. And you basically just use Adobe Camera Raw to help manage that conversion. And now you've got great controls to do all that. And that's really quite approachable. doesn't take long to figure that out. And then if you want to go beyond that, there's... I mean, you can think of HDR as almost being like your raw file. You can use kind of the same little techniques of luminosity mask and exposure blending and all sorts of different things to bring it down. So there's a lot of ways to go. Um, but I think the edit for SDR and then enhance to HDR later, that's where I would start. That's, sure. that's the easy approach. Yeah. takes very little learning. Going the other direction, there's a little bit more of a learning curve. Sure. Okay. And we'll wait till you have your course so you can just teach everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay, last one. Uh, and I, I really want you to, to emphasize this with your, your plugin, Greg, and, and tell everyone about that, because I think this is, this is probably the easiest way to make this happen. How do you share HDR with others is the, the last question. Um, if you've gone to the lengths of making sure you have this big, beautiful external display that can, <laughs> can meet these requirements and spend all that money to get there, and then you go to share on social media, um, well, social media is a problem first off, right? Is there any social media that can even leverage, show your HDR image properly? If you took your image and exported it as a video, you can work around that. So for example, on Instagram, um, I've got friends where we, we've shared HDR photos as reels and you can do an HDR reel. So if you know video, that's kind of the hack, but sending a photo there directly, it would not show as HDR. You'd have to say something like, click my link to go to my website and see it there. I mean, this will come, sure, but that's sure. not there yet. So, so the, the sharing piece, um, there, there's, there's two components, right? There's like, what do you actually create as a file? And then there's, how do you deliver it to the person? Right? So let's, let's start a little bit on the file piece. The old standard formats we've used are not ones that can handle HDR data necessarily. Um, yes, you can do it with TIFF and 32 bit and that kind of stuff, but like the old JPEGs, that we've been sharing that kind of thing, they don't. There's a new standard called a gain map JPEG. Uh, Android, Google, they call it Ultra HDR JPEG. That is the best way to share images. So what a what a JPEG with a gain map is, it's actually two images that have been embedded into the same JPEG. And it allows the browser to show both the HDR version you created and a fallback SDR version if the viewer does not have an HDR display, or if the browser just doesn't understand a game map, because, you know, not every browser does like Safari doesn't yet support game maps. So even if you had an HDR display, 
So, so the, the beauty of that format is even when you share this like high quality file, if the computer for any reason is not able to handle the HDR, it falls back to the same great old SDR experience. So that's a relatively new thing. If we went back to just a few months ago, sharing an HDR meant it would be kind of inferior on a non-HDR screen and that limitation has been removed. So now you can create one image that looks great everywhere. And that's this JPEG gain map. When you're in Lightroom, all you got to do is you choose JPEG and turn on the little box that says HDR output. Doesn't say gain map, but that's what you'll get. And so then that file will look great whenever it's displayed on, you know, Chrome and Edge and, and these browsers that support it. If you're, if you have an HDR monitor, um, the other format that can be used, there's this new format that is going to replace JPEG in time called AVIF, A-V-I-F. And the beauty of AVIF is the files are much, much smaller than a JPEG. So it's going to replace normal images too, because these images are on average about 30% smaller. I've seen images shrink by 85%. So, you know, it will load your pages faster, less bandwidth costs, all that kind of good stuff. On top of that, it also supports higher bit depth. So banding goes away. Um, it also has less artifact. It also supports transparency. Like, And we're not even wow. talking about HDR, which it also supports. So it has all these great advantages. So AVIF uh, is a great format. And uh, it's supported everywhere but MS Edge right now as a browser. Uh, Edge supports it with a development flag. And for reasons that I don't yet understand, it's not in production but when it is, I think this will really start to take off. The reason that you would use an AVIF now before the browsers are all ready, and it's just Edge we're waiting for, is that if you have um, Mac OS or you've got an iPhone or an iPad, the latest updates to the Apple operating systems in the Photos app from Apple supports HDR AVIF. So if you export um, a gain map JPEG, that's great for sharing with people on a browser somewhere else, and if you want to show an HDR image on your phone or your iPad, then you can send AVIF to that device because those don't yet support game maps. Eventually, all these formats will be supported everywhere and we'll have AVIF with game maps too and all this kind of great stuff. But we're in this little bit kind of mixed transition period. Uh, so those are the two formats to use is the AVIF for your own Apple devices or the game map for pretty much everything else. So then once you've created that, how do you how do you get it to somebody? Um, so I mentioned the AVIF for showing on your own device. That works great. If you want someone to see it online, the best way is to take control and show it on your own website. So if you have like a WordPress site or whatever, all you have to do is take the JPEG you exported from uh, Lightroom or from WebSharp Pro or whatever you use to create it, because WebSharp Pro supports it through Adobe Camera, um, and then just serve that file on your website. The thing you have to watch out for is reprocessing of the image. So a lot of these services, when you upload an image, it will then try and squeeze the image to be smaller, or maybe it'll create lower resolution versions of it. That reprocessing does not yet understand how to deal with a gain map. And so what it does is it degrades the image right. by stripping out the HDR piece, and you'll just see the, the SDR piece. So you'll still see a great image, but it will no longer be HDR. So when you serve it on your own site, then you'll be fine. So in WordPress, the media library doesn't support it for the derivative versions, but it does for the full size version. So like on my page, I just uploaded a bunch of images. 
I just upload at the correct resolution and choose the full size version. And in like two minutes, boom, you've got it. And it looks great. Uh, so that's a really good way to go is just serving your own images. You could also share it through, you know, Dropbox and different things like that if you don't have your own server. But if you go and upload to something like social media, they are not going to allow you to show the HDR yet because they always reprocess your image. Mm-hmm. Um, that will come. I think it's inevitable. The quality gains here are just so vast that there's no chance that this doesn't become the dominant standard in time. I, I just don't see any universe where that doesn't happen. It's already happened for TVs and movies and it's coming for photography. Um, but what you could do now is share like, you know, regular posts and just say, Hey, if you an HDR monitor, here's a link to go see it. Um, whatever. I mean, there's that kind of thing, which is obviously not ideal for social media. Um, there are other options, uh, within, uh, Adobe's ecosystem. I didn't realize this until I started digging around recently. They have multiple different ways to create an online portfolio. So there's Behance and they got a portfolio site and then Lightroom has its own ability to share albums. And so if you're on Lightroom mobile or the cloud version, that's just like a little icon on the left side of the screen. You just drag images to a shared album you create and then just enable that to be shared with anyone via link. And that supports HDR right now. So you can just drag and drop on your phone. Boom, you're sharing HDR with the world. In Lightroom Classic, that can also be done. And there's some articles around that. I'm digging through that this week. And I'll probably try and share a little more information around how to do it with Lightroom Classic. But the the Adobe option actually works really well. The caveat there is that it'll show a grid of images that are not HDR right now. I don't know why. Hopefully that gets upgraded soon. But when you click on the image to see the large version image, it will be HDR. Mm -hmm. So that's... I would say that the big challenges with HDR right now, we we hammered on the, on the external big monitor thing, right? That's a gap, you know, uh, bypass it with TVs and other screens and all. And then there's the the social media side of things. Those are the two big right. gaps. But we already have a great ability to see it on our own. And if you take a little bit of control over the, over the distribution, you have a great ability to share these images with others. But that's the that's kind of the state of the state, right? That there is some pain around getting those images out there. But for the most part, I think it's just being creative to kind of work around that until the ecosystem just becomes as easy as sharing any other image, which is inevitable. But, you know, we're early days. I mean, a month ago, we just got game maps. So it's going to take a little time. (laughs) It changes quickly. It changes quickly. And I'm very hopeful. The demand has to be going up for this. So I'm very hopeful that we're going to solve a lot of these problems. I'm, I'm guessing the social media stuff will all be solved within this next year. And, uh, and then I hope that the manufacturing processes get cheaper so that we can get these external displays at a much more reasonable cost too. So it'll all be good. I, I, I think it's inevitable. I mean, I, I've been doing HDR for a couple of years, um, long before yes. I was really talking about it. Um, and I would say in the last couple of months, it's really started to get interesting. I mean, you can now use it across, uh, affinity, all the Adobe products, um, most of the browsers, pretty much every platform. I mean, these screens are really pretty common. I, I own seven HDR displays. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I've got an iPhone. I've got an iPad. I've got an Android. I've got the Windows laptop. I've got the Apple laptop. I've got the external display. Um, I mean, these things, probably my Apple Watch probably would show it too. Uh, so these <laughs> things are, are <laughs> they're, they're much more common than you think. Um, it's kind of snuck up on us and I think it's going to start to feel like it's pretty fast moving. Once these other things show up, you're going to start seeing it all around us. So this is 
a great time to dive in right. uh, now that we've got some some really pretty easy tools. I think Adobe has done a phenomenal job. Eric Chan and the rest of the unsung heroes at Adobe, they've done such a, a beautiful job of taking what's quite complicated in the background. You and I are talking about the hardest parts here. Right, right. You know, within Lightroom, if you have a screen that's supported, set up, you just click the HDR button and go. There's there's not much learning curve there. And then all you get to know is like what file type to save and and where to send it. You're good to go. Right. Um, so it's it's not it's not as complicated as we've probably made it because we've explored every little corner. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. it's the nature of my show. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, uh, WebSharp Pro. You've mentioned it a couple of times, but I want to specifically highlight it. Um, it's a plugin that's not new. It's been around how long, Greg? Like three or four years now? Uh, yeah, something like that. I'm, I'm on like getting close to version six these days. Yeah. yeah, yeah, three or four. And then, of course, Lumenzia predated that and has been around for at least 10 and yep. uh, so we got you. You offer two good plugins. Um, we've done a show about Lumenzia in the, an episode about that in the past. Uh, luminosity masking. So if you go to phototacopodcast.com and search for luminosity masking, you'll find a show Greg did with me uh, back then on that about that one. So, but but I don't I don't think we've talked specifically about WebSharp Pro here on Photo Taco. So I want you to take a couple of minutes or however long you want. To uh, to outline kind of what that that plugin is for and how can it help, especially with the HDR. Yeah, well, first, um, if I went back, I think I'd choose a different name because people always <laughs> say, "Well, I I, I I already sharpen my images." I'm like, oh, "That's like five percent of what it does." It's a, ter- <laughs> it's a terrible name. It really undersells what it does. Um, so, WebSharp Pro is designed to help take your image that you've edited and output it for a variety of displays. So this could be for sending to social media. It's got templates for, you know, things like Facebook and Twitter or whatever they call it these days and all these different sites. You can create your own custom templates. Um, when you need to crop the image, it'll remember how you like to crop for different things. So maybe you've got a square crop that's a little bit off to the side for Instagram and Facebook is cropped this way. It just tries to simplify all these different outputs by giving you the correct size, the correct aspect ratio, preserving as much image as it can so it has all this kind of complexity. It just deals with the background. So you just choose Facebook and it just knows, oh, your image is too wide. It's too tall. It's time to crop and let's go help you with that. You know, kind of help push you through that and then give you, you know, great sharpening, of course. And then it has options for all these additional embellishments. If you want to add uh, borders, strokes around the edge, watermarks, uh, all that kind of good stuff. Manage your, your metadata. Uh, within the HDR realm, uh, it can help you export your HDR image uh, or your gain map if you're doing that to try to optimize for both. Or if you're trying to take an SDR standard image, it can automatically upgrade that to HDR for you. Um, so it's kind of a, a range of capabilities. But within the, the scope of this conversation on HDR, um, the thing you know I'm most excited about with it is just the native support to do HDR the right way. There's a, a number of tricks to how you export uh, HDR through Photoshop, and it kind of helps you navigate that minefield. You don't really know it unless you try it on your own, but it, it does a lot of stuff in the background to deal with that. And then just that upgrade process. So if you've got existing images and you just want to enhance them to look HDR or you want to edit for print and just, you know, coincidentally, you also want to have a great HDR, it just kind of takes that for you. And like I said, it's really just kind of a checkbox in the settings. There's like that says enhance SDR to HDR. Um, check that box and it's going to give you this great looking HDR from your original source. And it's, 
Um, it's pretty intelligent. It actually analyzes your image and figures out how much to kind of push it into the range. It does a lot of fancy things behind that checkbox. But that's that's it in a nutshell. It's really just designed to help you create great looking images, right? If you compare that to what you can do in Lightroom, you can export certainly, um, you know, things like game maps and all, uh, and it can sharpen. But I, I would say the quality of what it's giving is a little higher and it's adding things like the blur borders, the fancy borders, the enhancement to HDR, the interactive cropping, uh, knowing what sizes to send to social media, intelligently picking all that. It's just kind of taking things to a, a, another level. Uh, and I think they're both great tools. I show on my site, I, I use both. I use Lightroom for kind of quick and easy, and I use WebSharp Pro, uh, you know, for the map more. Um, and you can integrate the two. So you can ex actually export from Lightroom through WebSharp Pro and process the whole thing. Yep, I love it. It's... Uh... So I get no benefit from from <laughs> advertising. Greg's plug in here. We we're just good friends, and I happen to really like uh, this this product. So um, I'm happy to advertise for for Greg because um, it's a good product, and I that's that's the most important thing to me is not whether I get a benefit from it. It's is it a valuable tool for my listeners, and this is one that is a valuable tool for for people to go and get. So. It's not a uh, paid advertisement, but I'm happy to do it, especially because Greg's willing to come and spend time helping this dummy understand HDR. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it, Greg. I appreciate all of the the sh um, knowledge you've shared. I I it makes me I'm I won't have time today. I have so many things I have to do today. I can't go check out the HDR, but I might be able to tomorrow. I think I can find a little bit of time to to try it on my MacBook Pro and see see what it looks like. That that'd be really good. I'm I'm excited to go try it out. Thanks so much for for helping me with that. Um, if people uh, we we've mentioned your website already, but gregbensphotography.com. That's where they can find you. All of your wonderful resources. We've only touched on a tiny bit of what's available over at your website to where, where you have a lot of resources available and training courses, uh, how to use some of your tools and how to do processing. So go check that out for sure. Greg Ben's photography, that's B E N Z. And uh, I'll have links in the show notes to everything there too. So thank you so much, uh, Greg, for, for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Uh, and so that that's it for this show. Uh, everyone get out there and, and go check out HDR. <laughs> See everybody. Views expressed on this program by independent hosts and callers do not necessarily reflect the views of Master Photography Podcast, LLC, or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links for permission reserved. Olay!